1: Another episode of Purple Insider Matthew Collar here. And this is a very special episode. I have two interviews for you. The first is with Minnesota Vikings special teams coordinator Matt Daniels. We got into a lot of different topics, including starting off with why there was no punt off. So you'll hear that in just a second. Also with the all things cover podcast and CBS Sports. Bryant McFadden he talks about Patrick Peterson the 3-4 defense what it was about the Pittsburgh Steelers culture that allowed them to win so much with Mike Tomlin so off we go let's start with Matt Daniels Minnesota Vikings special teams coordinator all right we welcome into the show Minnesota Vikings special teams coordinator Matt Daniels what is up Matt great to have you here hey how we doing Uh, Doing good, doing good. Um, You know, I want to get into a lot of your background and some of your philosophy. Also, as a kick returner enthusiast, I want to go back and forth with you on some old school kick returners. But I have to ask the question that all the people in Viking land need to know. Okay, So, so you went to the podium. And you made a promise to us <laughs> that in the third preseason game there would be a punt off. I was told I got excited. I bought a stopwatch that was going to keep the the you know how long the ball was in the air. And there was no punt off, man. What happened?
0: There was no punt off. So I didn't technically say that there would be a punt off in the actual game. I did not say that, but I did say that there would be a punt off. And Kwesi and KO came to me and said, We cannot go into the game with two punters. And that's kind of where the no pun off stemmed from because we kind of had a couple injuries at the corner position and we needed some extra bodies just to be able to get us through the game and be able to evaluate a couple more players. And because of that, we had to make a a decision maybe sooner than what we wanted to. Um, But we are happy with with
1: Ryan Wright. Okay, I did think about canceling the interview request after that happened because I was that upset. No, I mean, it would have given us something to, like, have fun with and track in the last game. But then Ryan Wright showed you in that game that there was no necessity for a punt off. I mean, what, 71 yards, 68 yards, uh, the guy has an unbelievable leg on him.
0: He does. He does. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that Ryan Wright might possibly have a top ten leg in this league for just being honest uh. The way he goes about it is his process, uh, the guy has a really, really strong leg. And if you look at it, uh, most most punters are a jab, one, two, punch. Ryan is more of a jab, one punch. And so the operation is a lot faster. He's getting the ball off in under two seconds. And for him to, to have that type of – to generate that type of power with that short amount of steps in his approach uh, says a lot.
1: He can also fill in at long snapper or middle linebacker.
0: Maybe. I mean, that is a,
1: that's a that's a meaty puncher. He's trip. a
0: hefty. He's a hefty man. He's a hefty man. And you know, we've had a conversation about you know, because I mean, honestly, he came in a little heavier than that. But uh, with our dietitian, he's done a great job with Remy, uh, kind of trimming down his fat, really trying to get back into true NFL shape. And you know, I'm not too particular on you know whether you weigh 260 or 250, but definitely want to fill in a, 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 at his most. Prime, uh, where he's feeling like he could be at his best. And so, uh, you know, he's probably sitting right around about 250 pounds right now.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I think if uh, there's any fights between punters pregame or something <laughs> that you're in a pretty good spot. I like spot. my guy. I uh, like my But guy. I didn't just want to grill you about the punter. Uh, it would be funny if I wrapped up the interview now and just left. But uh, I, I really wanted to get to know you a little better because you're new here in Minnesota. You played in the league. You were able to carve out a role of, uh, for yourself as a special Absolutely. teamer. But I checked your LinkedIn and I wanted to question you about something in your LinkedIn at duke you said you refereed like rec league stuff
0: i so, did so why I don't did. we talk
1: why don't we talk about that and get a sense of your background you you actually refereed rec league, rec stuff league in, intramural
0: games i did uh i did intramural soccer i did intramural basketball flag football uh, any 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 sport really. Uh, we even had like an intramural lacrosse team uh, that I actually did intramural games for. And You know, as college kids, you're just looking at gain a little extra dollar here and there and so that's kind of what that stemmed from, but it's funny when I was an intramural, I was working a flag football game and I majored in public policy at Duke, which is micro macroeconomics and we were required to fulfill an internship and so I was going into my senior year and I had not found an internship yet that I was ready to do to fulfill my my requirements that summer and so there was actually a guy by the name of Malbert Smith who owns a company called Metametrics and he was watching his son-in-law play and so there was actually a player who was heckling me throughout the entire game and I'm staying poised I'm very composed Uh, I mean he's grilling me grilling me grilling me and so after the game this president of MetaMetrics, Malbert, comes to me and introduces himself, say he really likes the way I carry myself. He actually was a Duke alum, and he was telling me about this company that he has. And I was telling him I was a public policy major. He was like, wow, me too. And I've actually worked with a lot of students with their internships, and I don't know where you were at in that process, but i love for you to come in and be an intern for me. And that's kind of how I was able to get an internship, fulfill my degree, and and, and get my degree in uh in the public policy.
1: <laughs> that is a way better story than I have from doing a summer of refereeing literally <laughs> baseball games. Uh, that that's a, I guess you never know where you're going to meet somebody. So so that was what you were going to do if you didn't end up in the league. But at that point in in your life, did you envision a career in the league? I mean, because when you go to Duke, uh, I know Danny Dimes is in the NFL. Danny but there's Dimes. not that many Duke players who end up in the league. Usually they go do like good stuff for the society stuff, right. and so forth uh at that point did you have any idea that you would have a career in the league
0: so it's funny when i when i was actually in in my senior year i actually had a uh, opportunity to go with jp morgan after i finished playing and i kind of had my sights set on actually doing that the financial advising the stock broke in i was a big big math guy a big into the market. I really enjoyed doing that. And so I kind of had my sights on doing that, but I ended up finishing out had had a heck of a year, my senior year. First team All ACC, I was a second team All American. Um and so I finished second in the ballot behind that darn Luke Keekley for you know, defensive player of the year, but hey, you know, that guy Whatever happened. That guy, to him, right? you know, ain't whatever happened, that guy turned out pretty good, you know, so. <laughs> uh but yeah, you know, so kind of after I finished up that year, I mean, I realized, like, dang, I'm actually pretty good at this. And so I wanted to pursue it. I had a fourth, fifth-round grade on me coming out, and I ended up actually tearing my meniscus on my pro day, uh, which resulted in me going undrafted uh, to the St. Louis Rams in 2012. And so that's kind of how my my football career kind of started off.
1: And and when you're that guy who's undrafted and you've dealt with this I mean out here like that is a really tough hill to climb. So how were you able to stand out and carve out a niche for yourself?
0: Yeah, I think I think for me the biggest thing was was obviously becoming best friends with the special teams coach who I actually end up collaboratively working with uh, when I first got into NFL, John Bones Fossil. And I became best friends with him. He taught me all the ins and the outs. Of actually what it took to be a great special teams player and you know I realized early in my career what it would take what my role would be and how I would contribute to a team and so I took that I ran with it and the most important thing was really me just making the most of every single opportunity that I had every single rep was like the last rep that I would ever take and because of that it paid dividends for me in the end.
1: Did you see yourself at some point after you were playing? Were you going to go back to J.P. Morgan or like what, was <laughs> the, like what what sparked the passion? I'm always curious about this, though, with special teams coaches, because Absolutely. like everybody wants to be Bill Walsh or Bill Parcells on offensive defense. Uh, but John Harbaugh can be a hero to all they special could. teams coaches. Uh, but, uh, you know, I guess how do you end up? Uh, taking that route as a coach to go into special teams?
0: Yeah, no, no, that's a great question, Matt. And, you know, it's something that that I always have a, a ready answer for because I tell it to myself often. And the way I look at it, I, I always talk to myself about what is purpose. And people kind of throw that, that word around and purpose, like, okay, well, what actually is purpose? And for me, it's where love – I'm sorry, passion – passion. Passion. People throw around what they're passionate about. And so I ask like what well, okay, what is passion? And to me, passion is where love and purpose collide. Mm-hmm. And so what am I really passionate about or what is it that I truly believe in and want to do? Well, I've, I see myself as a servant leader. And in this game, after I was finished playing, I wanted to be able to touch and impact as many people as I could. And I had opportunities to be a DB coach in this, in this league. And I turned them down because as a DB coach, I can only impact but so many people, right? Right now we have nine or 10 DBs on this on this team. Well, that's only 10 people I'm only able to put my hands on. Whereas a special teams coach, I get to coach every Everybody. I get to have a relationship with Kirk Cousins, Brian O'Neill, Ryan Wright, um, Justin Jefferson, and so I be able, I between me, the equipment staff, the training staff, and the weight room staff, we're we're really the only people who actually get to indulge and and put our hands on every single individual that's on this team, and that's kind of how I see that. I see myself as that. That's how I'm, I'm really a purpose driven person, and I'm very passionate about putting my hands and being able to pour my everything into these players. And so that's why special teams was the route that I wanted to take.
1: I'm always so interested in the guy who becomes something out of special teams. Like, I know know you just got here, but, you know, previously, like Stephen Weatherly or Anthony Harris, I'm sure you're familiar with these guys. And you've seen... C.J. Ham, I'll get questions all the time, like, well, what you know what, what do they love so much about C.J. Ham? It's like, the guy does everything. He that does everything. Like every single unit of special teams, and you need people who know what they're doing. Uh, so, I guess, like, what is the reward or rewarding feeling for you when you see somebody who kind of has maybe some reflections of yourself as a young definitely. player? You know what I mean?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you, and you know, you look at a guy like C.J. Ham, and, you know, the question comes up a lot, like, what, what does a special team, a really good special teams player look like? What are, what are the traits that he has, and I can just idea it for for two things, and it's versatility and courage. And you look at a guy like C.J. Hammond, he's got it all, right? You talk about a guy that played, that came into this league as a running back, was asked to move to fullback and it's like yes sir right away and he immediately able to pick it up Mm -hmm. right you gotta have you from you going to a running back to a fullback obviously you gotta have that courage right because we're talking about thumping in a hole meeting Mike Will linebackers and so I look at a guy like CJ Ham, and the number one I think is he's a versatile football player I can I can line him up at right guard right tackle or right wing or PP on punt and he's gonna know what to do And I don't have to give him too much instruction on it. But that's just the type of guy that he is, and I trust him. And and at the end of the day, I know that I can put him in a position, and I can always expect for us to have a matchup plus and a matchup advantage when it's a one-on-one situation with him.
1: And it's just interesting to me to sort of study a player's development in the league when it's someone like C.J. Ham. Absolutely. uh, The first game that I covered when I moved here to cover the team was a preseason game fourth preseason game whatever and CJ went out there and crushed it and then it was like (laughs) oh okay well this is just the guy who does the thing in the fourth preseason game like oh he's on the team oh he's getting opportunities (laughs) oh Oh, he caught a go route (laughs) like you know what I mean last year it's like I mean he could do so many different things he had to play tight end a little last year and uh, there's very few players who are able to do that these guys who carve out great niches and then you see on cut down day how hard it is so many of those players have had great college careers and they came in they got money to sign here or got drafted and uh, they're not able to, you know, do the things that he can do. Right. Uh, there was another thing that you had brought up at a press conference, though, that I wanted to switch gears and ask you about, which is the kickoffs. The kickoffs, and yes. kicking it off short as opposed to kicking it through the back of the end zone. I can't tell you how much I love this because a. I miss the days. I grew up in the 90s. Oh, I, I yeah. miss the days. They
0: ran it from the 20.
1: And, and it did not matter. Right, yeah. It was, right. It did, and it did not matter. Like, if it was deep in the end zone, a lot of times these guys would just take it out Bring anyway. It out. Bring it out. One of the most exciting plays in football. Uh, but I think it's a fascinating approach to say, if we could pin them, a lot of times we could create a negative play for the offense. And there are a lot of times where I'm watching a game and I think... You should you shouldn't bring it out of the end zone because it might actually be bad for you. You <laughs> like you need a great return bad. for that to matter.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and, and you know, like again, you, you you look at the schematics of it. Obviously, you got to pay attention to the personnel, who you're up against, who the returner is. Because on the flip side of it, I say three out of the four true opportunities of what can actually take place when the ball is in play. Well, you flip it and it's like, well, if that's the case, then if you look at it like that, then you probably shouldn't be bringing the football out. Well, you know, I got Kane Nwongwu, who is, right, a, yeah. who is a difference maker right. when the ball is in his hands. So, you know, obviously those are the type of things that you have to look at when you start talking about putting the ball in play.
1: Right. I mean, because the, the way that you broke it down, it's basically like, look, there's a lot of penalties.
0: A lot of penalties. There's
1: fumbles. <laughs> and most of the time the guy doesn't get to the 25. He doesn't and, get- it, and if you look at yards per return in the league, I mean, if it's Cordero Patterson, you don't want him doing you it.
0: You don't want him doing and it. And Ken no, A. No. But
1: how many guys are like that? Like that, in college, it used to be back in the day. That was right. a real skill and talent. Right. And now it doesn't even really matter in college because so many guys are I know. And now you got
0: guys. the whole fair catch thing, which is it's mind-boggling to me. Like a guy, the ball can get sky kicked to the 10-yard line and fair catch and it takes it out to the 25. You know, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. And, you know, it's starting to just, they're trying to do away with special teams, it feels like, Gummit.
1: Yeah. This is—I know they are. Uh, this is so perfect though, because Ryan Wright is the only guy out here in the field right now as we're doing this interview, and he's punting just by himself. That's my guy. That's, there you go. There, he's he's out here grinding. I love it. Um, 14, baby. Let's. Uh, you know, when he was asked what number he's going to switch to from 66, he wouldn't say yesterday. So now I'm going to break <laughs> this—break this huge news on the show. Um, the 66 thing should have been able to stay. I, I wish I—I t-
0: I, I requested KO to put in a request with the NFL to. <laughs> for him to keep the 66 man but it was a (laughs) no-go it
1: didn't go so uh i know you have to get back to work obviously but i did want to ask you when you were playing or even as you were growing up like who were your favorite kick returners i'll give you a few of mine so you can think uh Eric Metcalf was probably Ooh, my favorite.
0: Oh, Eric Metcalf. I love Eric Metcalf. That's um, a great one. That's Dante a great Hall, one. Dante Hall Vanover. was a great one. Leon Washington, I was a big fan of. I could you know, I always I, I tell my I, I usually do like a Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. of returners, right? And so there's two guys so the NFL league leading our record right now is tied between Leon Washington and I'm sorry. Yeah, it's Cordell Patterson, mm-hmm. Josh Cribbs. And Leon Washington is up there. Percy Harvin is up there. Uh, and that's the top four. And obviously you got you got that, that man, Devin Hester, who has five. But out of those five returners, all right, look, we're a little real quick history for you, two of the guys on there have something very in common with mm. Kane Nawongu. They were drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. Oh,
1: yeah, of course. Cordell right. Patterson of course.
0: Percy Harvin. So there's some in the water here. You know, I don't know what's brewing. Kane has two already. Need six more to go in and tie it up. Shit, let's see if we can get it done this year, huh? Why not?
1: Percy Harvin returning kicks like it was spooky. like if they had Barry Sanders doing
0: spooky. it. Right. Spooky, <laughs> spooky season, man.
1: Uh, this has been super fun. Oh, I was actually going to ask you one more thing. Did you ever see the XFL kickoff? The original XFL yes, kickoff. Yes, yes, I did. What did you think of that?
0: Well, you see, that's funny because we talked about that. Um, we had a meeting with the with the, the the NFL the NFL officiating crew, and they just don't like the look of it. They don't like the look of it, you know, if we're just being honest. But it
1: just makes so so much sense. sense. You
0: eliminate all of the running, you cut that down, and you basically get a play every single time right every time and every time and, and you they get were getting
1: creative the coaches they were like running reverses Verses, with it all that
0: oh you love it i love i love creativity i'm all about creativity
1: see that doesn't make any sense because the nfl has always been about change absolutely like, way back in the day they used to put mattresses on the sidelines so the guys would <laughs> crash. Into, like i mean this, this league it's you know they've changed everything about it like You're right well, i think it looks great i think it's an incredibly exciting play um, I did an article where I interviewed the guy who invented it, Sam Schwartzstein. Oh. So uh, shout out to him. Um, but uh, maybe someday, maybe someday, someday. But until then, someday. You'll, you'll keep you'll keep giving us some returns by pinning the guys back. That's um, right. But it was great to get to know you. I really appreciate you taking uh, the time, appreciate man. You, and, man. And I hope I know you're going to the fair at some point. So I, I hope am. You have a good I time will get out, out there.
0: there either Saturday or Sunday. I'm gonna get on out there. I can't wait. I've been hearing a lot about it. Kirk Cousins has. He has, he has a, he's told me a few things. I won't, I won't put Kirk out there like that, but I'm going to go take a look at it see the experience for myself.
1: Yeah, I know he's a big fan. Well, thanks so <laughs> much for your time, man. Really glad to have you on the show.
0: Absolutely. Appreciate it. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
2: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them.
1: Special thanks to Matt Daniels for that really fun conversation and for the Vikings for setting that up in a very hectic time in Vikings land. All right, now on to my conversation with the great Bryant McFadden, a former NFL cornerback, the cousin of Patrick Peterson and co-host on the All Things Covered podcast. Off we go. All right, well, welcome into the show, Bryant McFadden, the all things covered podcast, CBS Sports, former Pittsburgh Steeler. What is going on, Bryant? How are you? Welcome back to the show.
2: Uh, It's always a pleasure joining you. I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So we got a few things I want to discuss with you, but uh, people may know this. Your podcast is with Patrick Peterson, your cousin. And I, I just had a really good conversation with Patrick the other day about him coming back to the Vikings, why he continues to love football and continue his career when he could very easily put on a gold jacket and retire anytime he wants. I mean, few people know him better than you, Brian. I would love your perspective on that because I am I am so intrigued by a player that has accomplished so much in his career and yet still wants to keep coming back at it like Patrick does.
2: Yeah, I think most importantly with Pat, the, the hunger to compete – is still in him, and that drives him. The competition. When you look at some of the great players that are still currently playing in the National Football League, uh, specifically speaking, Tom Brady, I mean, he still has that hunger, and that is what is driving him to continue to to lace up his cleats and put on his helmet. And I think for Pat, that's the same mindset, because individually speaking, you know, he's done everything you would want to do. At his position as a professional player when it comes to individual accolades, but he still wants to compete. And then most importantly, outside of the competition level, it's just that hunger that drives him. He wants to win a championship. You know, he wants to win the ultimate team goal, being able to hoist a sticky Lombardi, as I like to call it. (laughs) And that's something that he's eager to try to accomplish this year with the Minnesota Vikings. So he's fired up as he's been. This might be the most I've seen him when it comes to being fired up and excited about a season. than I've seen in quite some time and he understands that that goal is definitely there for the taking, but you know, a lot has to go into to it for that to become a reality.
1: So he told me that even from the time he was 10 years old, when he first started putting on pads, that he just, loved everything about the process of getting ready to play football games. And that's the part that he still loves and that still continues to drive him. I mean, you've you've known the man for a long time. I mean, was he always like that? I mean, was he always like this ultra competitive that he would still be at this point wanting to push himself as hard as he possibly can to be great?
2: No question, uh, he's always had that mindset of being great. Whatever it was he was participating in, you know, being great. And I can remember going back to his high school days. So yes, I'm I'm am quite a few years older than Pat. Mm-hmm. But when I came out of high school, I, be, I was the number one corner, you know, one of the top players in the country. He had the, the who's of who knocking on my door. And I remember when he was in high school, and at that time I was in the league. I said, what I need from you to do, I'm gonna challenge you. I need you to do everything that I did plus more. So I need you to go out and do everything that I did from the high school level, plus more. He's like, I got you. I got you. And he said it so casually, mm-hmm. like it was easy. <laughs> and then lo and behold, my a year and a half, two years later, he's the number one corner in the country. He's the number one player in the country. And of course, he had the who's a who knocking on his door. And then when once he got to LSU, you know, it's the same thing. I challenged him. And he went to LSU with the mindset of doing something different. That was one of the main reasons why he went to LSU, because if you think about LSU football before Pat got there, cornerback play wasn't highlighted. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at Florida, the Florida States of the world, Ohio States, you know, everybody's always hollering DBU, DBU. But if you think back <laughs> right. and go back to the 80s, Florida State was a DBU university. If you go back to the 90s, if you go back to the 2000s. But LSU really started to get that DBU mantra when Pat got there. Right when he put on the infamous number seven and took it to a whole nother level. And that was one of his the main reasons he decided to go to LSU was he wanted to create something for that university that never was done before, which is magnifying the cornerback play, defensive back play. And he was one of the trendsetters that got that trend going for LSU.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, throughout his career, he's got all the accomplishments and everything else. But I think last year it was clear that it was driving him that people were saying, oh, he's too old now. Like, oh, look at this. You know, Arizona's moving on and he's not coming back to Arizona. Can he still do it? And he had a very good year for the Vikings last year. So now he returns and they're going to rely on him a lot. I mean, he, because the other guys behind him are not as proven as him, he is CB one on this team. And I think, that that's an interesting dynamic because it's basically patrick and then a bunch of younger guys but he seems to like really like that environment of being able to help develop some of these younger players
2: he's a team guy he loves the the mindset of getting together under one accord and and taking care of business you know when it comes to playing football we used to say all the time in pittsburgh we're in the business of winning because that's what we're supposed to do. When you win, everyone is happy, everyone is pleased, everyone is getting promoted, everyone is getting paid. But when you don't win, things start to get to get shaken up a little bit. And for Pat, he's in the business of winning. And the only way you can win in the National Football League, you got to have everyone on the same page, not just the starters but the depth players because the role players because at some point in time they, they're going have to have to uh, hear their number called and they need to be ready. So Pat takes on the challenge of communicating helping other people out. He's not a selfish player. He's not a selfish uh, superstar. This is a guy that believes in the next man up mentality has to be something that will be documented. But when they're up, they got to be ready to go. And that starts with the leaders on the team, being able to help the young guys. And he he gravitates to that assignment.
1: Okay, explain to me, though, why it is so challenging for young corners i mean i know i know that it is for every position in the nfl it's the highest level um so everyone has a development curve but Even by the numbers, there have been studies on this, like what positions take the longest. And corner is usually one that young players struggle a lot and develop. You've had to go through this. Patrick has gone through this, although he was pretty good right away. Uh, But a lot of players take quite a few years. What is it about that position that is so uniquely challenging?
2: Most importantly, it's the mental aspect. The thing about playing cornerback in college football, nine times out of ten, the wide receiver you're going against, probably won't get drafted Mm -hmm. probably won't get a shot so even if you're not as knowledgeable about the schematics of what they're going to do just your athleticism and your god gift of talent is going to allow you to prevail and be successful but when you get to the national football league that level it doesn't matter what team you're going against how bad their record is that wide receiver is a beast (laughs) He might be on a bad team, but he's a beast. So now you just can't rely on your athleticism and your talent. Now you have to rely on the the above-the-shoulder game. And if you're not there mentally, it's going to take some time. See, some kids come into the National Football League just relying on their skill set, the the talent, the the athleticism. You need more than that. So it's just a learning curve when it comes to studying film, breaking down your opponent. The individual you're going against the wide receivers the quarterbacks and also understanding what they like to do in situational moments of the ball game most offenses have five to six plays they run all the time it doesn't matter who they're going against Mm -hmm. when you can figure out what they love to do regardless of the scheme that they're seeing then you can put yourself in positions to be successful and that's the learning curve that a lot of young corners struggle with and that's when the veteran presence in the meeting rooms help these young corners in learning how to watch film. When I got to Pittsburgh, a vet by the name of Deshae Townsend, who's coaching for the Jacksonville Jaguars, he was a guy who helped me in regards to watching film the right way. Because if you're not watching film the right way, you're just watching, you're not learning anything. You're not gaining anything from it. Mm-hmm. So that is the best answer I can give you in regards to why some young corners struggle before you actually see them flourish and be the player that they can be.
1: Now, you were with the Steelers when they – I mean, the Steelers pretty much always had great defenses, but you were in kind of like the the second run of great defenses because they had the 90s where it was like – greg lloyd and kevin green and levon kirkland and then the second run uh is when you're there when they have james harrison and all those great players casey hampton the big man no in the question. middle now yes, now casey hampton is one of my favorite players to watch because he just ate up like three dudes all at once it was incredible but that that was still three four i mean three four pittsburgh now three four defense is not now at what it used to be now everybody plays nickel but what are what are some principles of that thing that that you remember that made those Pittsburgh defenses? great that would still apply to a defense now
2: well what made our 3-4 so uh dominant you talked about Casey Hampton he was the anchor of our defense playing the nose guard Mm -hmm. Casey was the ultimate anchor anytime we dropped that anchor in the ocean we know the ship wasn't going nowhere he was our foundation (laughs) what also made our 3-4 so dominant our defensive ends were super athletic but they were so fundamentally sound mm-hmm. their technique was something that they relied on because it was their job to keep our inside backers free see in our 3 4 you didn't really see a lot of numbers statistically speaking coming from our defensive ends when it comes to sacks and pressures mm-hmm. because their job was to keep our inside backers clean mm-hmm. and that's why our inside backers made so many plays and then when it came to outside rushers man we had defensive ends that were standing up that look like defensive ends but they move like safeties mm-hmm. when you look at the joy porters of the world uh, uh james harrison as you mentioned you talked about uh lloyd jason gilden those were guys who were 6'4", 6'5", 260 plus but moved like safeties mm-hmm. and they also were were were, were 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 real good in dropping in coverage and then in the secondary man you just got to have guys that can float Number one, tackling was our most important thing in the second day. Mm -hmm. Before they talked to you about coverage for Pittsburgh back in those days, will you tackle? Right. Will you tackle? And are you tackling because you have to, or are you tackling because you want to? (laughs) Those are two different things. Right. You know what I mean? And if you didn't have that mindset that I tackle because I want to, you're not going to last in our defense. And then the coverage element came into play. So that was the makeup of our defense. And if you look at how Pittsburgh draft in the, as you mentioned in the 90s and 2000s, we had like-minded guys that was coming in. Now James Harrison was the one outlier because he wasn't six four, he wasn't six three, he wasn't six five, but he had everything else the other great outside linebackers had, and most importantly, the last thing in regards to our defense and what you needed to have, you needed to have a mindset that you were you were okay in sticking your face in the fan. Think about the old school fans. If you took off the the, the, the front part, you just see the blade. <laughs> yes. For us, will you stick your face in that fan? That means will you stick your face in that fire? It doesn't matter who the ball carrier is. Will you put that Rydell in their chest? That's what we used to say. Will you stick your face in the fan? Most people be like, what are you talking about? Go <laughs> get an old school fan and take, take the front of the, the, the cover off, and now you just see the blade running, turning, turning. You got to be a man to stick your face in that, to be willing to. And that's how we looked at the game of football and tackling and wanted to tackle. So that was a mindset.
1: You know, those fans were not safe at all for children. Uh, (laughs) I mean, just how in the world? You know, there are a lot of things, because you and I are pretty close in age within a couple of years. There's a lot of things you look back at and you're like, that maybe should have not been the case. And uh, fans that you could just open up and stick your face into, not not good, not good. Um, They don't have those anymore. But (laughs) now with that, though, is am i wrong in making a comparison of Zadarius Smith and James Harrison a little bit? I mean Zadarius Smith is just this like not super tall guy like you mentioned, but just a violent dude. And I think that, you know, I was talking the other day about how if the defense makes progress, it's of course going to have to cover and it's of course going to have to stay healthy. You and I've talked about that before. Like that's every team all the time has to stay healthy. But I feel like Z'Darrius Smith and his role in this defense, being able to move around wherever you want him and the way that he plays can be the engine that Everson Griffin was for them before.
2: No question. I think he has to. I think you look at what he's so far in his professional career, you want the same type energy plus more. If you put Zadarius and Daniil Hunter opposite of each other, somebody got to get home. Mm Mm-hmm. One of those guys has to get home. And that's one thing Pat has emphasized on our show, All Things Covered. This is the first time in his career he's playing with two dynamic pass rushers at the same time. If those two guys get home, it's going to be a nightmare for whoever the quarterback is. Easily, Matt, I see both of those guys getting double-digit sacks. That has to be the bare minimum. Number one, both got to be healthy. You know, that has been an issue for Daniel over the last few years. That's the first thing, right? Both guys got to be healthy. But if they're healthy, the bare minimum has to be double-digit sacks for both of those guys. That's the bare minimum.
1: Yeah, and, and healthy is a huge part of that because uh, both have had some issues in the past, the back surgery, the neck issue, the you know torn pec, but um, behind them is a lot of unproven. Patrick Jones, DJ Wanham, like, they really need to, to be healthy to create the pass rush. It's kind of all on them. Um, I, I think that that's kind of the linchpin to the season, right? Like It kind of rests on whether those guys can stay healthy and produce what they need them to produce.
2: Agreed, agreed. But if they're healthy, the bare minimum for Minnesota Viking Vance, you gotta see double digit sacks from both guys. Mm-hmm. That's what they're they're paid to get home. And what I mean when I say get home, the quarterback is home. That's where you gotta go. Mm-hmm. Get home. Find a way to get home.
1: Right. Yeah. And and both of them have obviously proven that they can. Okay, one more thing for you, Brian. Uh because you came from the ultimate culture organization and culture coach in Mike Tomlin. I am curious about your observations just about how this new regime for the Vikings is handling things. Mike Zimmer was old school uh, and he did things, a lot of things in an old school type of way. There's more of a modern approach here um but but I do think that there's a balance between getting your message across and like doing it in a way that sort of gets players to galvanize with each other and behind you as a coach so I'm curious what you think that like if you were to tell a coach if Kevin O'Connell came and asked you hey Brian what can I take from Mike Tomlin that will make me a great culture builder what would you tell him
2: the best way for coaches to earn the trust of their players is is to make them feel like they relate to that coach. Mm-hmm. Relatability is one of the more important skill sets a coach needs to have. Because when you make yourself relatable to your players, now they feel comfortable in being in your presence. They feel comfortable in listening to you and orchestrating what you're telling them to do. Mm-hmm. Because when players respect their coach, they're going to listen to them. When I played in Pittsburgh, like you said, under Bill Cowell, under Mike Tomlin, we all respected respected their words, mm-hmm. right? But it we even went even further with our defensive coordinator. Dick LeBeau was a guy who, when he walked into the room, because of the respect we had for the Coach LeBeau, we're paying attention. Whatever foolishness we had going on before he walked in, we put in <laughs> away, Because this is a man I respect. We mm-hmm. all respect him. If he said, you know what, B-Mac, give me a right arm. Here you go, coach. Because I respect <laughs> that he needs it for something that's going to help all of us be in a position to win. So we're being relatable. And one thing I can say about Kevin O'Connell, the energy is at a different level. And you can contest to this because you're running a building. The energy is different, mm-hmm. right? People are excited. It's almost like the update has finally came through with that new iPhone. <laughs> and now everyone feels like, you know what? We're up to date. We can rock and roll with every the who's of who in the National Football League. And then just being a former player, not not too far removed from the league. Remember, he was in the league a few years ago, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So yep. he understands that mindset. That mindset of being able to relate to your players because when you can relate to them, they're going to feel comfortable. I don't care what profession what profession you're in. If you're in the workplace and you're uncomfortable, you're not going to be your best.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's... no, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I totally you're, agree. You're I...
2: not going to be your best. Being comfortable allows you to be your best, whatever it is you're doing. And Kevin O'Connell. What type of player coach he is? He came on the All Things Cover show when we were there in Minnesota a few weeks ago. And he said, and I asked him, I said, can we ever will we ever see you do the gritty? He said <laughs> out of his word, out of out of his mouth, if they find a way to make it to the NFC championship game, he will do the gritty. That's that's a player's coach. Like that, that we love that coach. Like okay, you 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 challenging us. You gave you gave us your word. If they get to the NFC Championship game, remember, Kevin O'Connell got to do the gritty.
1: <laughs> okay, that's funny. Yeah, and from a like how much they put as far as effort and thought into culture, it is kind of going from rotary phone to iPhone thirteen a little bit with um, you know the previous regime. So uh, okay, one more thing. I thought about asking you if Florida State will be back, but I don't want to hurt you. Um, so what uh, what. <laughs> <why, laughs> I, I'm sorry man uh um, no problem there's no problem it's you know you know back in the day though Charlie I was like a Charlie Ward guy so I, mm-hmm. it, it hurts when uh Florida State isn't good but uh, I was just gonna ask you about like this this season give me the team that you have been pumping up in the off season. you can't say the Vikings because you do the pod with Patrick Peterson it's not fair you're biased on that one but uh the the other team that you think is being overlooked in the NFL as we go into the season
2: Philadelphia Eagles Week two? The Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles, yes. I think they're being overlooked. I think Jalen Hurts is going to surprise a lot of people. Mm-hmm. The roster has improved dramatically. They're the most talented team in the division, and they're going to win a division. I go I go with the Eagles.
1: Yeah, I could see that, especially since Dallas might fall off. Don't you think that the first two weeks kind of determine how this whole thing's going to go for the Vikings?
2: Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, if you want to know exactly what type of team you have in Minnesota, week one and week two will tell you everything. Mm-hmm. Because, And the reason why I say that, you're playing against two playoff-caliber teams. And you're playing against two teams, I think, will be real good this year. And one team has owned you in the division. So two things are going to happen. Either you lay down week one and week two, and you start off 0-2. Or you take care of your business week one. And now we really see exactly what type of leadership you have going into week two. Because if you take care of your business week one, it's not like you won the season is over but right. that's kind of getting that 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 big brother out of the way we finally took care of green bay and granted you've beaten green bay before but just to do it in the week one is huge now will you go the week two patting yourself on the back or will you still be dialed in and say you know what we're not done we're just getting started
1: right yeah i mean from a, the perspective of even just confidence in the coaching staff it's like if you if you go toe to toe with a great coaching staff, and an all-time great quarterback and win in the first week, like right away. It's like, okay, wow, we're in um, for the players. So that's a a good point. Um, Follow him on Twitter at BMAC underscore Sports Talk, the all-things-covered podcast, CBS Sports as well. Brian McFadden, great to meet you in person for the first time, by the way. We've talked a number of times, but we were able to meet out in camp and uh, always, always learn something from you every time we talk. So uh, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it.
2: Uh, Thank you for having me.